HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. HRN is food radio supported by you. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. Hi, listeners. We wanted to let you know that Heritage Radio Network's Julia Child Fellowship application is now open. The fellowship offers an enriching experience for aspiring food writers and journalists who share our passion for food systems change. The fellowship is a great way to progress in the field of food journalism and digital media and will start in early January 2024. This fellowship will provide participants with hands-on experience, mentorship, and access to an extensive network of industry professionals. The application deadline is November 27, 2023. Check out heritageradionetwork.org and click on the Julia Child Foundation Writing Fellowship link to learn more. If you or someone you know has interest in food studies and journalism, this might be a great fit. Go to heritageradionetwork.org and check out the application today. Thank you. I'm Lou Bank. And I'm Aaron Campos with Dark Matter Coffee. And this is Agave Road Trip, the critically acclaimed award-winning podcast that helps green gags bartenders better understand agave, agave spirits in rural Mexico. And Aaron, so you and I just did this episode where you were talking about uh, trying to source coffee from Mexico, which yeah. hasn't been the easiest thing in the world, right? But then you, you brought up this, uh, this, this bit in there uh, about consistency and that it's impossible um, to, uh, to, to get consistency from one harvest to the next, which reminds me so much of the things that I love in agave spirits. And I thought, like, let's play around with this and see if, if this can become an episode. Oh, all right. I'm in. Yeah, you're always in for playing. <laughs> so it's it's fascinating to me uh, that, that, I mean, obviously, you've got these cocktail mezcals where they really work hard to try and, and make each batch, each bottle taste the same so that bartenders know what they're going to get when they're making a cocktail. But, you know, the, the, the spirits that speak most to my heart if I get a Tobala from Victor Ramos, which I do every time he makes one, but if I get a Tobala from Victor Ramos in Miohatlan, um, and I get it in, you know, in, in, in 2017, January of 2017, and then I get, you know, another one in March of 2017, those two batches are going to taste significantly different. And it's the same thing with coffee, right? You know, I have, I have, a, I have a note on that. 
why is it that bartend, you know, we have to be careful with bartenders with mezcal inconsistencies from year to year, but chartreuse gets a pass all the time. It's the what? most inconsistent. Chartreuse is? Yeah. Seriously. It's from bottle to bottle. Try it. Well, I, I do try it. It just tastes like sugar to me. <laughs> and, and it, you know, that was not an insult. I love no. sugar, <laughs> which yeah. is also my nickname for Connie. <laughs> but we celebrate that with chartreuse. Why does chartreuse do you get really? the pass? Well, I don't, I don't care, but I love chartreuse. Oh, that's interesting. Okay, hang on. So let's go deep on that one. So, so have you done like side by side um, tastings? Like a what do they call that? A vertical or a horizontal? Oh. Yes, but we didn't call it that. We just called it a Saturday night at that time. <laughs> but 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 of agave spirits or of chartreuse or both? Oh, because I'm 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 wondering just how how different each batch of chartreuse is. Yeah, we should we should put that together. I think that would be really interesting. You know, that's one thing I've heard of one of my f favorite bartenders of all time, Freddie Sargas, shout out, love you, man. Uh, you know, that's one thing he would always talk about with chartreuse, you know, the uh, how people celebrate the inconsistencies from year to year oh. and from batch to batch and bottle to bottle. People just uh, maybe not celebrate, but they're just used to it. They deal with it. It's fine. I God, I, I don't believe it's fine and they deal with it. I believe it has to be celebrational. Yeah. You know, as, and as you're saying that, guys, yeah, so there's there are all these bars that have vintage chartreuse bottles, and I guess that's sort of the point. Yeah. I oh. mean, uh, go, and the older they are, the, uh, the more vastly different they are. I mean, granted, there's oxidation and there's all these other sure, things. That sure, but it's also... Yeah. Uh, there, there is a little bit of identity for each bottle. Oh, I had no idea that was a chartreuse thing. That has me excited. So, but but it's also then it's also a thing with coffee. Yeah. So with coffee, you know, when we we're, I mean, it's such a hard thing to really, uh, you know, pinpoint on exactly where that uh, comes from because it is such a nebulous produce. Obviously, you know, just like every other produce, uh, we're always going to look at how the climate is changing how uh, weather is from year to year uh, or, you know, where what the rainfall was like. If uh, the pickers uh, did a really good job of picking the cherries to their ideal ripeness, hmm. uh, you know, those all, all those elements are obviously super important. Um, but then you get into, you know, uh, the processing part. So that's uh, bringing it in, making sure that the equipment is working properly. You know, you have to calibrate certain um, pieces like uh, the the deep pulpers to be the the right screen size so you don't crush beans. So, are is that being done well? You know, the drying. Are they using machine drying? Are you using patio drying? Are you doing um, a combination of both? And how and for how long? And then on top of that, um, which that can change from year to year because everyone's always playing with their process, yeah. at least the really good ones that are always trying to, to do better. Uh, and then on top of that, um, you know, what the shipping time was to get to us. You know, you have green coffee. Granted, now in modern times, every, you know, specialty coffee is typically shipped in uh, Grain Pro, which is really good with keeping moisture out, condensation, all of that. So there is a protective layer there. Uh, but you know, you can't really protect against temperature and that can change right. things. So, uh, then you bring it over to us. Now you have, uh, the roasters getting their hands on the green coffee. And, um, is it snowing outside? Is it hot outside? What's the humidity like, uh, all of these things are going to change how the roaster is going to react with the beans. 
And that is going to cause a specific type of uh, adjustment that's going to happen on the quality control side. And then not only that, um, you might be, uh, you know, what style of roaster are you roasting off of? We have two different uh, types of roasters. We have a civets, which uh, was our identity piece, uh, something that we loved. Uh, you know, fluid bed roasting is something that we um, strongly preach about. Uh, and then we have our loring, which kind of represents a modern technology for uh, for roasting. I mean, it's uh, you can theoretically, we've never done this in practice, but theoretically, you can roast a batch of coffee if someone loaded it for you at from your house. Hmm. Um, really, uh, you know, different different uh, sides of, of the same coin. But all of these things kind of play into uh, this, you know, all these parts of this equation now equal what your final cup is going to be. And then not only on top of that, Lou, <laughs> You get the roasted coffee. Now you're bringing it to consumers. You know, coffee's changing from day one to day two, day three, day four. And how you mill it how is going to change. It? And, and the, the water that you're using. God, this is really, it's so reflective of like the 400 decisions that we talk about in the process of, of making these spirits. There you go. So how consistent do you try to be with this? Well, I think about it in terms of, okay, so I'll give you one example. So we have a blend uh, called Unicorn Blood. It's, uh, we have it in all of our shops. It's... Man, I just had like in your, and I know this is different because now I'm talking the, the, the coffee cold, right? Yeah, the can, yeah. The can, but oh my God, the one that was aged in brandy barrels? As soon as you told me that, I went back to try it again and I was just like, oh my God, Lou was right. I was <laughs> right. My favorite words again. <laughs> Look at that. Oh my God, that is such good coffee. Thank you so much. Yeah, th that was a really, really fun uh, experiment that was done uh, with our barrel aging program. Uh, Kelly, Eric, Gideon, Bones, they have been absolutely killing it on that side of things. And that was one of my favorite projects to date that they've, they've come up with. So, so, so back to the idea of consistency then, do you like, are, are you trying to get a consistent flavor? Or are you just trying to get within a consistent framework? Oh, right. So there we go. I mean, uh, you, you, you hit the nail on the head. So when we are, so going back to unicorn blood as an example, um, we have, uh, you know, we can have three different components in unicorn blood sometimes. And what we're looking for is a flavor profile that a, we want it, uh, we don't want it to be, um, light and floral and kind of almost like uh, almost too subtle in terms of nuance because those espressos, don't get me wrong, are delicious when you drink them on their own. Yeah. But as soon as you add some milk to them, then they just completely uh, dissipate in the milk and you huh. barely get any of those. We want it to be universal. So when you add it to some milk, uh, you know, you pour it as a ristretto, you're going to get coffee presence. You're going to get the unicorn blood that cuts through because milk is a... Um, I mean, really what you're doing when you're adding milk, you're diluting it with some sweetness, some fat, and, you know, for, uh, and, uh, that can really, really dilute a lot of subtle flavors. So there's that. Now, um, again, we have three different components. We are saying, okay, let's just say the blend in this case would be, uh, 20%, you know, one thing, 40% another, you know, so, and then and then you'd have 40% of another thing. So you're, when you're saying things, you're talking about varieties or species? Of different varieties of coffee and, and, and maybe different lots because some of those blends might be a mixture of different things that are processed the same way. Oh, it's an ensemble. Yeah, it could be. An, yeah, exactly. But like when we're pouring this now into a grinder, 
can we guarantee to uh, ex that exactly 20% and 40% and 40% of each component went into that uh, porter filter, went into the and, and did that exact thing? No, we can't. But, uh, you know, that's why you almost work against yourself, uh, at least in my opinion, when you get hyper, hyper uh, specific. You know, I've seen blends that are like, this is 12.5% of this. <laughs> and well, like to me, you know, that, that gets missed in the translation when you're pouring it out because you can't guarantee that. Right. Um, and then uh, I, I think for us, what we're looking for is windows of success. You know, you can you can see how the coffee is being poured out of an espresso, and uh, and uh, you can make judgments looking at how that espresso is being um, is being uh, 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 pulled from the actual machine itself. See mm -hmm. the color difference. See is it watery? Is it syrupy? Uh, and make a lot of judgment calls based off of sight alone. You don't need to be hyper hyper specific uh, when it comes to weighing everything out, having the TDS at a perfect ratio and all these other things uh, at the end of the day to make a really good cup of coffee um you really can rely on your senses to do that and, and i we've been really doing that for our entire existence <laughs> your five senses once again like we're right back to agave spirits so 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 let me ask you then like to get back to this idea of the different varieties you know like so so 90 90 some percent of all mezcal is made from espadine right 100 percent of all uh, tequila is made from blue weber though sometimes there's corn syrup um is there the same kind of thing with coffee that there's one varietal that dominates but then there's like there's a tepestate that people are are trying to find what's the yeah so you know when uh one thing that comes to mind one of the first varietals that come to mind is bourbon mm -hmm. which is a funny varietal because if we are barrel aging a bourbon variety in a bourbon barrel uh, then it gets a oh, little funny to consider. It's consumers. spelled the same way. Yeah, spelled exactly the same way. Uh, but anyway, hmm. uh, Bourbon uh, was highly, highly prolific. Uh, across uh, Central and South America, especially when we started to source. Uh, and it still is to a degree. Uh, you get a really high yield, you get a really sweet cup of coffee. Um, and, you know, in general, uh, you know, they put out really, really good spectrum of flavors. However, because of those high yields and because of everyone kind of growing that same varietal, you had a major wave of, of Roya or Rust um ah. which this uh what this does it's a fungus that uh, spreads from tree to tree and what it does is it attacks the leaf so when you're looking at the tree it starts to have the spotting there's also another uh disease called uh ojo de gallo which does a similar thing but um it looks slightly different and um whatever you're harvesting that year if, if the tree already produced cherries those cherries are going to be fine um, however, um, if it didn't, all those leaves are going to fall off and you're going to have a devastating uh, blow to everything else that was being produced. So, so this speaks to the real issue of the, the dangers of monocultures. I, absolutely. I mean, uh, you know, Guatemala had a state of emergency where you had, you know, a vast majority, I believe it was like 75 to 80% of oh the bourbons just devastated in there. And mo a lot of people were growing. So do you, do you see any of these farmers who, are um, integrating different varieties of coffee into their fields in order to protect? Absolutely. I, I would even say that uh, even a step further, uh, you know, even anecdotally from uh, our partner Federico Pacas and the Pacas family uh, in Tuxpan, El Salvador, they are starting to work more with hybrids 
and they're starting to work with more rust uh, resistant uh, plants. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the way that a lot of typically that we've seen uh, a lot of farmers uh, kind of renovate farms that that might take, you know, they could take upwards 20% can be aggressive but they can take upwards to 20% of their farm rehab that for younger coffees mm -hmm. because it takes about three to five years to really get enough of a harvest for it to actually generate some income. Um, before that, there's almost no cherries on the tree. And if they are, it's insubstantial, doesn't really do anything. So you couldn't just theoretically wipe out your entire farm, plant new trees, uh, because then you'd have zero income for the next three to five years. Huh. Wow. So it's a, it's a slow game. Um, and we've seen uh, Federico, you know, uh, for over a decade, isolate the issue, mm -hmm. um, see what's going on and slowly rehab a lot of his farm. Now, when we're looking at, uh, you know, rust, uh, we know that that becomes a major issue on lower elevation farms. Mm -hmm. As you go up, it becomes less a thing, but it still is. Um, there is still uh, the threat at uh, the threat of it. Uh, yeah. So you're not out of the woods uh, huh. just because you're in high elevation. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I, I was going to take us on a different tangent unless you. Oh, yeah, no. Um, and uh, I, I think that uh, just to your point, uh, people have really started to explore way more um, of a, a biodiversity within coffee, um, uh, coffee varieties to really combat that and really kind of, um, you know, safeguard, you know, their their income for their families, for them. And uh, it's it's been uh really really sad to see happen over this period of time but then when you see a lot of the uh the biodiversity that's coming out of this uh and um it's been really beautiful especially just in the sense of trying all these new genetics that's something that we've really wanted to um hit hard and bring to consumers uh you know from the state side is this is uh, you know having a catchway from this far versus having you know you know, uh, a geisha and what the difference they would be and like why uh, their uh, different varieties will taste so different. So so I'm guessing that one of the significant differences between agave and coffee is that, uh, you know, agave, I'm sorry, with coffee, you've got to have a crop every year, right? Yes. Like you harvest once a year. And I'm guessing that regardless of what variety you're you're talking about in in the coffee bean, um, that it's it's not like there's one that takes four months to reach maturity and another that takes eight months, that they're all on the same cycle. Essentially, yeah. I mean, there might be some varying degrees, but as the uh, broad strokes, yes. And and so then the, just the last question in this, uh, like, have you ever seen um, any communities or any families where the coffee, in essence, becomes part of the religion? You know, there's there's an awful lot of just commercial mezcal. I'm not trying to suggest that all mezcal is, you know, part of this 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 cultural heritage that's that's special and precious, but so much of it is and so much of what I love about it is. Do you see that ever in coffee? You know, I guess uh, you know, thinking about it, you I see a lot of it, maybe not in a religious aspect have I seen that directly, no, but I have seen uh major cultural influences, especially, you know, in Guatemala, when the coffee harvest is happening, it is a huge celebration in that local town because this is the time when you have a lot of people now having uh, getting income from yeah. uh, the pickers and you know everyone around them. Right. On. So it becomes a giant festival. 
uh, and you see this uh, kind of aligned with a lot, all these uh, communities that are also part of uh, the pickers and that work at the mill and all of that. Um, those are really, really big. But that's a really interesting question. I have not come across that myself, but I don't, I think it would be um, highly unlikely it doesn't exist anywhere. <laughs> Right. Yeah. Right. You know, it's it's funny when when you when you and I and, and Jesse and the whole crew, the first time we went down to look at uh, cacao, to look at chocolate, I kept wanting to see that. Right. And, yeah. and when you look at the history of chocolate, it feels to me like there should have been some of that because it certainly was like, you know, it was, it was the, the food of the gods. It was the food of the kings. And I thought for sure we'd see it. And I didn't. But, you know, I think that in a way that that also speaks to something special about uh, about mezcal, about agave spirits, that that tradition didn't die in that particular consumption pattern. Yeah. You know, I mean, the one interesting thing about, you know, going uh, between both is that with agave it is a growing uh it is growing uh every day uh it's becoming more and more well known in america and you know people like you and really more of you than mo most people i ever met in my entire life has really been on the forefront of giving consumers like information and educating and bringing people to those farms and, and having that connective tissue uh with coffee it's weird because it's the second most traded commodity in the world behind oil so wow. there's a lot of room for corruption. There's a lot of room for taking advantage of small communities uh, and exploitation. And, you know, from every, virtually every single level of the coffee industry, um, there is massive room uh, for taking advantage of the next person behind you. Huh. And it's a, you know, it's a, it, it's a very, very strange um, industry to be in because the more you learn about it, the more you realize there are some amazing, beautiful things that happen in coffee, no doubt. Yeah. But there is this undertow in coffee that that has like these, you know, these little, these dark influences that you, you really want to avoid and understand and educate. Um, you know, and it's something that we're learning more and more about every single day that we're part of it. it it's a minefield. You know, I, I wonder if part of the, the, the reason for that isn't that, it is so big, um, but it's always been a presence here, right? Yeah. Like mezcal, although it's, you know, hundreds of years old, it's new to most consumers outside of rural Mexico. Even in Mexico City, it's relatively new. And and so it's the opportunity to learn slowly, whereas most people, most people in the USA start their day with coffee and they don't know anything about it. Most people in the USA eat chocolate and they'll tell you they love it, but they don't really understand. It. Right. It's weird. It's it's such an ubiquitous thing in mm -hmm. our culture that we disassociate it with even being a drug, you know, uh, yeah, from yeah, everyday yeah. use, you know, but it is. It's something that we really depend on. It's something that we allow everybody to consume as a drug in everyday culture, and especially like in office buildings or, <laughs> you know, working here, you know, it's like uh, that that's okay. Um, but it is something that everyone, uh, virtually everyone is addicted to. And uh, there's a general source of income that you can always depend on there. And, uh, you know, it's uh, people take advantage of that. I don't know why I got so dark. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's just your nature. 
Okay, well, you know, I think that's a, I think that's a beautiful way to sort of wrap it up is to think about these things that we consume on a daily basis that we take for granted, that if we stop and we think about them and we look at the different aspects that we don't even know exist, take the time to, that we can get so much more out of them. Yeah, and to really understand that if we're all going to be able to drink this beautiful, beautiful beverage, uh, it's someone is going to lose something somewhere. It's a really, really, really tough I, uh, man. I, he, so he's he's you, looking at me. I, I, I was trying to make it bright. You got it. <laughs> you, 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 you set up an eclipse on me again, Aaron. Okay. So as you're drinking your coffee, I just want everybody to think about all of the other people in the chain that they're harming. <laughs> And that's the conclusion of this episode. <laughs> Is that good? Think critically, you know? Yeah, <laughs> sure. Well, you know, one of the things I do like to talk about is that, uh, you know, it, it doesn't matter what we're consuming unless you've grown it yourself or you walk to the place where it was grown, that you're creating a wake, right? Yes, you, there's, yeah. there's, there's this carbon wake behind you and that you, you should be mindful of. It doesn't mean you don't do it, but it does mean, you know, be mindful of it and, and do what you can to, to try to clean up some of that wake. Here, here. Okay, now we can wrap it? We can wrap it now. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks very much, Aaron. No problem, Lou. Hasta pronto. <laughs> You've been listening to Agave Road Trip, the critically acclaimed award-winning podcast that helps Gring X bartenders better understand agave, agave spirits, and rural Mexico. We're blessed with sound engineering by Roy Sierra and a theme song performed by Gabriel Oliveira and Marco Ricos. Sign up to become a road tripper and listen to more episodes at agaveroadtrip.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, please let us know. And if you hated it, well, I'm sure you'll let us know that too. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Agave Road Trip. Agave Road Trip is a production of 10 Angry Pit Bulls, Inc. Agave Road Trip is powered by Simplecast. Thank you for listening to Heritage Radio Network. Heritage Radio Network is food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. To subscribe to the Heritage Radio Newsletter, enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with Heritage Radio Network on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find Heritage Radio Network at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization using the power of education educational storytelling about food to build a more equitable, resilient food system. Heritage Radio Network couldn't do that without support from listeners like you. Become a part of the world's most innovative community today. Subscribe to the shows you like. Tell your friends. And please join the Heritage Radio Network family by becoming a member. To become a member of the Heritage Radio Network, click on the beating heart of our homepage. Heritage Radio Network can become addictive. Programming you hear on Heritage Radio Network might lead you to eat, drink, and listen to more programming on Heritage Radio Network. If you drink, please do not drink and drive. Drink responsibly. Drive responsibly. Eat responsibly, too. And listen to Heritage Radio Network responsibly to listen to Heritage Radio Network responsibly, wear protective earbuds. While wearing protective earbuds, do not drive. Do not walk either. Sit in a comfortable chair. If that comfortable chair has a hard seat, please remember to stretch every 30 minutes. If you stretch every 30 minutes, please stay within your defined stretching capacity. And consult a doctor who specializes in stretching. If you don't have a doctor, maybe Dr. Ryan Acock, the cocktail MD, can help you out. Thanks for listening. Agave Road Trip. Out.